Good morning, everyone. Pastor Greg here. Welcome to Union Chapel and to Advent, this wonderful season when we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world. Hope you're doing okay, you're well, and you're safe. This is December 13th, and we are in the middle of this wonderful season of celebration of the coming of Jesus, and I hope you're well. Um, let me just, uh, before I get started in this uh, exciting message today, I want to just give you an update on the Christmas offering just a reminder that we're going to fund the Blood and Fire Christmas store again this year. The first $10,000 goes to that. Hundreds of families, between two and 300 families every year get Christmas because of that wonderful store downtown. Uh, we're also supporting the Light Your Path Children's Bibles, which has become a tradition for us as well. And those Bibles are being distributed all over the community and other places in the world. And such a meaningful expression. Uh, also, we're going to be supporting the Winchester Home for Women. It's a recovery, addiction recovery home there. We have lots of connections there with our church and wonderful ministry. And so uh, we'll be funding part of that ministry as well. The biggest piece, though, this year is a carryover from last year. I mentioned last week, and let me just say again, we have recently signed a memo of understanding, a partnership with Urban Light Community Church here in Muncie, uh, Dr. Andrew Draper is the senior pastor there, and they have been operating out of their ministry at Urban Light a women's recovery home for a number of years now. And so we, par we, we approached them and talked to them about a par possible partnership, and we're very excited to announce that we have just entered that partnership. And so the monies that we receive now in the Christmas offerings this year and probably in the years to come will go not only to buy a house and to renovate the house, but also staff uh, the house and program this house for men. That We've discovered for, from our research that this is a missing link in the chain of recovery assets in our community here. And so this will be a great opportunity for us to, to meet a real heartfelt need. And you know the need is just so important, so big in our community and growing, unfortunately, and this will be a, a very important ingredient to the care of people who struggle with addiction in our community. So I know you feel strongly about that. You're excited about that. We're thrilled about it. There's going to be lots of opportunities for us to connect, you know, from swinging a hammer this next year to providing volunteer and maybe some support services. And many of you work in the recovery culture. So we're looking forward to corresponding with you about those things. So our Christmas offering, uh, we'll start re receiving that next week on the 20th December through Christmas Eve to the end of the year. So you be praying about your contribution. Beth and I, just we, we just feel so strongly about this. We want to be as extravagant as we can in our response to the Christmas offering this year. And I know you'll want to do that as well. Well, today I want to talk about Christmas in this context. When there is a change of plans. A change of plans. Our text this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 26 to 37, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And of course, we'll project these uh, words on the screen. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, now this is where there's about to be a change of plans. The angel said, 
Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. May God inspire and instruct us through his word. Thank you so much. Well, the Christmas story, in essence, is a story of everybody's plans getting changed. Everybody. Nobody's life turned out the way they originally thought it was going to happen. So if you start with Mary and Joseph. These are two young kids. They just want to get married. They just want to have a life. They want to live peaceably. They want to be happy. They want to raise a family. They just want to be normal. And God sends this archangel, Gabriel, into their world. Now there are visions. Now there are dreams. Now is there, there's a huge change of plans. Mary, you're going to get pregnant. I know you're a virgin. You're going to get pregnant anyway. This is important. God is with you. And this son of yours is going to be great. The end of his kingdom will see no end. Never end. It's remarkable. And yet so jolting, so shocking, so amazing. Complete change of plans. Redirecting my life. Then you have King Herod. He's a piece of work. He's, a, he's assigned by Rome. He's not Jewish. He's paranoid. He's, he's, a, he's so defensive of his position and, and fearful for his, for his life that, that he, uh, he starts murdering people. Here's the list. He killed his wife. He killed his mother. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his two son, sons. And, and then he, when he finds out from the Magi that the king of the Jews has been born in Bethlehem, he orders the death of all males under two years old in Bethlehem. So he's, he's a piece of work. And God really messed up his plans. Had an early death, all of that. Then there are the religious leaders, these men who had an image of Messiah who would come. He'd be a political leader. He would extricate the Jews from the oppression of Rome. And, and they had no concept of a spiritual Messiah, a spiritual leader. So Jesus comes along and he starts saying things like, love your enemy and do good to those who despise you. Pray for those who persecute you. Return good for evil. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they're going, what? What is he talking about? This is not the Messiah we planned plan for. God really changed their plans. Well, the, the innkeeper, he's, he's kind of a secondary figure in this whole story, but you know the story. I mean, he's not expecting this holiday crowd. Uh, this census disrupts his planning, he, and, and so he's got no room left, and he's overwhelmed. God messed up his plans. The shepherds are just literally minding their own business. They're watching their, their flocks in the field. It's a quiet evening. Suddenly, there's light, there's music, 
There's an angelic choir. There's an announcement about some Savior who's been born. Now get up, you know. I know you're, you're trying to sleep out here, but get up and go into Bethlehem and see what has happened. So God messed up their plans. Here's my question to you. Here's, here's, here's a loaded question in 2020. Has God messed up your plans? Anybody within the sound of my voice discovering an alternate plan being revealed in your life in 2020? Are you kidding? Uh, if, if one thing we're all certain of, this is like a universe, this is like a global, a global answer to a question. Have your plans been changed? Everybody in unison. Yeah. Yeah, are you, it's amazing. Everything's changed. Everything's up, up, uprooted. Everything's in upheaval. And so we understand the feeling. Let me be clear about something. In the midst of a pandemic, not everything that happens in our world is according to the plan of God. Not everything that happens is God's will. Can, can I say that as, strong, as strongly as possible? Not everything that happens. Jesus said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so Jesus reminds us that part of our prayer should be, pray that God's will, which is perfect in heaven, would become realized on earth. Now, why would Jesus encourage us to pray that way? I'll tell you why. Because God's will very rarely happens on the earth. It's perfectly revealed in heaven, but God's will rarely happens among people on the planet. And it's because, because people make bad decisions and people choose their own way. And it's contrary to God's better plan and purpose for their life. And bad things happen to people from the, for their own reasons. Bad choices, bad decisions, bad course, bad direction. Folks make bad decisions, choices every day, and it hurts people. And then there are, there are people who actually, outside of your own personal decisions, who are influencing your life in a negative way because hurt people hurt people, wounded people wound other people. And on top of all of that, the world is broken. It's fallen. It's broken. So you've got a broken world with sinful people, individuals hurting themselves and hurting other people, and all of this contributes. So all I'm saying is that there are lots of things in our world that are not part of God's will or plan. For example, rape is not God's will. Molestation is not God's will. Abuse is not God's will. Cancer is not God's will. Alzheimer's disease is not God's will. Poverty is not God's will. Uh, racial prejudice is not God's will. I would just say this as well. A global pandemic, some virus that's harming and killing people all over the world, that's not, that's not God's will. That's not God, part of God's best plan. So all I'm saying is that we don't blame God for all the problems in the world. It's a, there's a blanket theological statement. So here's the reference today. Here's the application. When God changes your plans, there are some things we need to remember. And Lord knows, plans have been changed. So these three things we learn out of the Christmas story. Here's the first one. You might want to write this down. When God changes your plans, he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get your attention. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us, in our pain. So with Mary and Joseph, I mean, think about their change of plans. This is incredible. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. It's, it's ridiculously out of the ordinary, completely outside of the box. 
any plans that they had imagined for their lives now is completely blown away. They're in a new reality trying to get their minds around it. And so God sends them an angel. And here are these dreams. And here are these visions. And these messages, these announcements. It's powerful. It's, it's amazing. Listen, God shouldn't have to send us all an archangel to get our attention. We should, like, be listening better than we are. It's, it's like even the people of God in today's culture have spiritual ADD. We can't, we can't stop long enough, get quiet long enough, pause long enough to actually hear what God is saying to us. Been chirping about this for, for weeks and weeks now, especially with technology that's constantly stimulating us and getting us addicted to it and, and overwhelming us. And we just don't have time to hear God. By the way, um, if God called you recently, would he have been sent to voicemail? And for those of you who, who uh, have voicemail and a mailbox there, occasionally I will call you and I will get sent to voicemail and then I'm told that your voicemail box is full. This is a little bit off the point here, but I want to just encourage you for a minute. If you are a person whose voicemail box is full, you may think that the message that sends to people trying to leave you a message is that you're more busy than everyone else, and that's why your box is full. That is not the message we receive when we find your mailbox full. We receive the message that you are not taking care of your business. You are disorganized. You need to clean out your mailbox. I don't want to ever have to call you again and get a full mailbox out of you. Clean that thing out. Come on. Be more responsible than that. All right. Listen to Psalm 81, verse 8. This is very straightforward. This is what the psalmist said, and God spoke, speaking to the psalmist, I wish my people would listen to me. I wish my people would listen to me. Then Proverbs 14, 12. We'll put this on the screen for you. There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. So what happens in our world is people stop listening to God. They start trying to figure it out on their own, going their own way. And, 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 and so they decide, I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to make this relationship. I'm going to make this deal. I'm going to start this business. And when things don't work out, when things go horribly wrong, that's when people then pause and go, wait a minute, maybe I should have consulted God about this before I got into this decision. Should have been listening to God. Let me just remind you, we can't see the picture. We don't have the perspective that God has. And so it's important to confer with God. You know, when you're a child, your parents said to you at some point, you know that stove, I know it's real pretty, and it kind of glows red, and it looks nice, and your instinct is to want to touch it, but don't touch the stove. It's hot. It will burn you. It will hurt you. Don't touch the stove. And when you're young, you know, you wrestle with the whole concept. But the reason your parents told you not to touch a hot stove wasn't to hurt you. You know that. It wasn't harm you. wasn't because they hated you. Just the opposite was true. They said that to you because they care about you. They love you. And a loving Heavenly Father keeps saying to us, I don't want you to get burned. I don't want you to have a broken heart. I don't want you to have a broken body. Broken marriage, broken relationship. I don't want you to have broken dreams. And so if we don't listen, 
we end up getting all the heartache and the pain and the problems that we never would have expected in the first place. So when God changes your plan, he's trying to get your attention. Hey, listen up. Pay attention over here. I've got perspective that you need. And so we need to consult with God. He's trying to get your attention. Here's the second thing that we learned from the Christmas story when God changes our plans. And that is, it also means that God has a better plan. God has a better plan. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. And I will give you hope and a good future. So what do we know about God's plan when he says, I'm going to change your plan? We know it's a bigger plan. We know it's a better plan. We know it's a more rewarding plan. And more than likely, it will be a more difficult plan. Let me unpack those just for a minute. First, God says that his plan for your life is always bigger than your plan. Now think about Mary and Joseph. They had a plan. They want to be a nice little family. They want to live a quiet life, a peaceable life. They want to raise a family. They, they, they want to be normal. That was their plan. What was God's plan? <laughs> it was bigger, <laughs> slightly bigger than that. God's plan was through you guys, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to birth my son through your family, through your lives, and I'm going to not only change the world, but I'm going to alter the course of human history and indeed eternal life. I'm going to change, the, I'm going to change everything. That's a, that's a bigger plan. Everyone say bigger. That's bigger. <laughs> that's a bigger plan. So when God, when God interrupts your plans, it's because he's got a bigger plan. It also is going to be more rewarding, more rewarding. It's going to be more significant, more satisfying. The Bible says that no one has ever seen or even heard or imagined what wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. There are people who run away from God and run away from God's plan for their life because they believe this, this crazy lie which says, you know, following God is boring, following God is, is restrictive, following God is no fun. Following God is just a downer. You know, I've been around some Christians and I don't, I'm not sure that's what I want. And so people get the wrong impression that God's better plan is better. It's better than your plan. It's better than your wildest dreams. It's better than what you imagine would be exciting and fun and adventuresome. It's better than that. I I'm a witness. I've been following Jesus for 50 years. I'm telling you, life has been an adventure. It is significant. It is substantial. It is fulfilling. I highly recommend following Jesus. You will never be bored. You will never be bored, not one day of your life. If you're following Jesus, listen, you are, you are on the highest level of adventure that life can give you. It's exciting, and it's great, and it's fun. It's more rewarding. And also, God's plan is oftentimes harder. Now here's, here's heads up. Just eyes wide open. You should know this. Following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus is not safe. Many times the will of God in your life has accompanying that will and that plan and that journey Hardship, 
difficulty, suffering. It's just following in the footsteps of Jesus. And so it, it oftentimes is hard. I mean, think about Mary for, for a moment. Here she is. She's, she's this teenager. She's a virgin. And now she's endued with this child. And she begins to show. And she's got to explain it to her parents and explain it to Joseph and explain it to her friends. Can you imagine the, the criticism, the ostracization, the, the gossip that goes around her life? That's hard. That's hard stuff. And then she's nine months pregnant. This census is mandated. Now you've got to go back to your village of origin. And so from where she lives to Bethlehem is 100 miles. So she gets on a burrow. Joseph loads her up. She's nine months pregnant. Loads her up on a burrow. And she rides up on top of a burrow for 100 miles. Nine months pregnant. That's, that seems hard. Harder. And that's what she goes through. So the plan was difficult, but it was a plan of promise. And it was bigger, and it was better, uh, even though it was more difficult. This is the plan of God, always more rewarding. The Bible says this. Jesus said, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you'll understand later. So that's the promise Jesus gives. So when your plans fall through and God changes your plans, you need to remember he's trying to get your attention and he's got a better plan. He's got a bigger plan, a more rewarding plan, and it may be more difficult. So now we're learning something about when God changes our plans. So here's this, the third thing he's saying. He's saying, I want you to learn to trust me. He's trying to get our attention. He's got a better plan, and he wants us to trust him. When your plans fall through, God is saying, Place your trust, your confidence, your hope in me. Think about Joseph's faith for a minute. How much faith did that guy have to have? We don't, we don't know a lot about Joseph, but we know he had great faith because he heard the word of God, the call of God, the purpose of God for his life and his burgeoning family, and he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I will place my trust in God. I will place my faith in God. God's plan for our lives is so, so different. All they could do, Joseph and Mary, was trust God. It was so outrageous. It was so wild, so out of, out of the norm. All they had left was to trust God. There's, the Bible says there's only one way to please God. One way to please God. Not two, not three. There's one. There's one way to please God. And by the way, it's not be, by being good. It's, it's not being perfect. It's not being a good little girl, good little boy. That's not how you please God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I'll put it on the screen. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. There it is. There it is. The one way to please God is to trust him. Have faith in him. It's not by ritual, not by rules, not by religion, not by regulation. It's simply by seeking God in faith. I, I, it, it is that simple. 
No, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. No, it doesn't. No, you don't have to perform. No, you don't have to meet someone else's expectations. The way you please God is by trusting him, placing your faith in him. The Bible tells us if we come to him in faith, that pleases God. Just like a father's happy when his children trust him. Just like a mother's happy when her children trust her. God is happy when you trust him. So what do you do when your plans fall, fall through? You seek God. You seek God. Now, there are all kinds of things that people are going through right now. Gyrations because of all the changes, all of the unique challenges in our current culture. And so people are going through all these gyrations, but many people have this process out of order. For example, people are looking for solutions. People are looking for relief. People are seeking to get away from it. People are, are trying to get explanations. None of those things, solutions, answers, relief, those are all things, you know, repositioning. All those things maybe are practical steps that need to be done at some point, but it's not the first thing you do. The first thing you do when God is messing with your plans is you seek God. The Bible says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, but it gives joy to those who earnestly seek him. So you seek God. You place your faith in God. You trust God. You turn to God. You lean into God. That's the first and most important step. This is how you please God. And when, when your plans are getting uprooted, getting adjusted, these are the things you do. God's trying to get your intention. He's trying to remind you he's got a better idea, and he wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him. Romans 8.28 says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. This has become the theme verse for many people in our world right now. According to his purposes, he, he brings good out of it. The Bible says we know. We're not guessing. We know for certain. We're confident. We know that God causes everything to work together for good. So how, what do we say about the season that we're in right now? This, watch it, this is a test. This is a test. Now, I'm talking to someone right now. This is a test to see whether or not you're going to trust God. Some of you are tempted to walk away from God. This is too much. I don't, this is too confusing. This is, this is, this is too, too hard. This is too scary. This is too frustrating. This is too much. And if God was real and God was careful for, with me, I wouldn't be having this experience. And your temptation is to walk away. Turn your back on God. Listen to me. Don't do that. Don't do, don't do that. God's trying to get your attention. God's got a better idea. God wants you to trust him, have faith in him. The, the characters of Christmas all model these important steps for us. I mean, we can celebrate Christmas all day long, but let's learn from these folks. They had a better idea. God had a better plan. God had a bigger goal in mind. He did for them and he does for us. And so we should trust him. This is really good preaching. There's no one in here to say amen. But this is really good. And I know you're getting it. I know you're getting it. Now, there are some warning signs. Let me just add this and we'll be done. There are some warning signs that if you're not placing your whole confidence and trust in God, that these are some emotions that you'll begin to feel. One is frustration. 
Another is fatigue. Another is fear. Let's stop right there. Frustration? Anybody? Fatigue? Anybody just feel worn down? How about fear? Oh my gosh. Now, now, oh boy. You can feel that, can't you? All of us feel those emotions. All of us have been feeling them. But they're reminding, those emotions remind us that our trust in God isn't at the place that it could be. Because if we place all of our trust and faith and hope in God, the fatigue will go. The frustration will diminish. The fear will dissipate and subside. Are you afraid? I'm not afraid anymore. My God's a big God. He can, he, he's proven himself faithful to me. And I, as I look back on my life, I see every moment of great need in my life. God was faithful. He can be trusted. So the, so the, so the more you increase your faith, trust in God, the more you will diminish failure and fatigue and frustration and fear and doubt and depression and resentment and anger and loss and worry and guilt and shame and bitterness. All these different emotions that emerge in our lives when our faith is, is, is diminished and our, and our perspective on God's trustworthiness is lost. So refocus. Look at Psalm 138 verse 8. Last verse. Look at it with me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for his faithful love endures forever. The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for his faithful love endures forever. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that hopeful? Isn't that good? He's going to work it out. He can be trusted. His plan is good. He's just trying to get our, get our attention. Now let me ask you a question. What if... What if you gave me a Christmas gift this, this year? Beautifully wrapped. It was a thoughtful gift. I mean, it cost you something. You wanted to communicate with me uh, the value of our relationship. And it was just a beautiful gift. And you handed it to me, and I took it, and I put it under the Christmas tree. And then, say, several months pass. You come to me, and, and you say to me, maybe next spring, um, how did you like that Christmas present I gave you? And I say to you, well, uh, I'm, su- I'm sure, sure it's a nice gift, but, you know, I never opened that. I never opened that gift. Sorry. Now, how would you respond to that? I mean, wouldn't that be disappointing? I mean, I've, I've robbed you of the, of the blessing of, of giving and and. And maybe I've offended you because I haven't valued the relationship with which you gave, it, gave the gift. And everybody's a loser. Everybody dis- is disappointed. And I'm the lesser f- for it because not only do I not honor our relationship, but I don't even have the gift because I haven't opened it. Let me ask you a question. How many of you listening to the sound of my voice right now, you have celebrated Christmas after Christmas after Christmas after Christmas after Christmas in your life? You've been in churches. You've heard the story that we've rehearsed this morning. You, you, you understand that a Savior was sent to the earth, that God bankrupted heaven in order to give us a gift that would last forever. And all of these Christmases, and you've never received the gift. 
you've never trusted God with your eternal life. You've never exercised your faith to receive and accept this gift that God has given to you. Isn't that sad? That's disappointing, isn't it? Could I just challenge you right now? Could I encourage you? That in the midst of all the turmoil and the change and the disruption, that God is a trustworthy God. He, he's trying to get your attention. You know, God led the Magi with a star, with an asteroid, whatever it was, some kind of heavenly uh, phenomenon, led the Magi, these wise men, right to the manger of Jesus. And you know what I think? I think God has led you to this service today. By His grace, by His hand, you can describe the circumstances of why you've tuned in here today, but I think God has led you to Union Chapel service on December 13th, right now, so you can receive the gift of life and hope provided through Jesus Christ. I'd like all of us just to pause now and pray. And if you're ready to receive this wonderful gift of Christmas, then you pray with me. Are you ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray the words and you believe them in your heart. You, you receive them. Just think about them. Receive them into your heart as I pray. Lord, I pray that you would touch every person listening to the sound of my voice today. Maybe there's someone who would say, God, I really do want to know you. I want to get to know you better in 2021. I realize now that you've been trying to get my attention. I know something was missing in my life. I just didn't know it was you. But it was. It really was you. And I admit that my focus has not been on you, but rather on my own plans. And I want things to change in my life. Today, I thank you for sending Jesus to be my Savior. And this Christmas, I accept your gift of salvation. Jesus, I want to turn from my own ways and start following you. I want to learn to love you and trust you. So please replace my confusion with your peace. Replace my guilt with your forgiveness. And replace my uncertainty, uncertainty about death, with your gift of eternal life. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.